Hey, Bankless Nation. Happy third week of September. It's roll-up time. David, this roll-up's coming a day early. You are off on a trip somewhere. We're releasing this on Thursday instead of Friday. So you guys get a jump start to your roll-up this week. David, where are you headed? Uh, first to Denver for MCON, coming in a day late, but gonna have a, a fun time hanging out with our, all the people at Meta Cartel and also all the Denver homies. Uh, Denver, home of ETH Denver, always feels like home for talking to all the DeFi, crypto, Ethereum bros. And then after that, going over to Mainnet in New York for a whole nother week at Mazari Mainnet, uh, which is also going to be fantastic. New York has a fantastic crypto scene. Uh, and I'm there for a whole week. Pleaser Dow is throwing a dog, dog party. Uh, there's going to be a bunch <laughs> of uh, parties as well. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I got my bags already packed. As soon as I'm done recording this, I am off to the airport. That's awesome, man. Well, enjoy yourself. I'm glad uh, you know you're getting out there. I, I'll I'll be holding the holding the home front. I know you together. will. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> That's how we roll. All right, um, guys. This is an episode where we take you through markets, releases, news, takes what you're excited about. We end with the meme of the week. So make sure you stay tuned to the end. David, I think there are two major hot subjects this week. What are they? Yeah, we got a tale of two outages. Both Solana and Arbitrum went down, actually, I think within like the same few hours of each other. Uh, and also at the same time, Ethereum also had a, an unsuccessful attack. Uh, and so this uh, weekly rollup is going to be a lesson in, net in distributed network consensus and uptime and why uh, some things uh, should not be tinkered with. Uh, in addition to that, there's a, an OpenSea employee front running the customers. So there's a, a lot of drama there. And then of course, Elizabeth Warren has some hot takes, which I think are hilarious. I think which will come towards the end of the show. She's making a lot of the roll-ups lately. Yeah. The things she's saying, Washington. Well-deserved, Elizabeth Warren. You were definitely saying things worth, uh, worth talking about. Yeah, at the very least, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we are going to get into the markets. Let's start there, David. What's Bitcoin showing us this week? Bitcoin started the week at $46,500, fell down to the low, low price of $44,000, and is currently at the high, high price of $48,250, eyeing that $50,000 Bitcoin level. Not quite there yet, but looking real strong. What are the traders telling us, David? This is Ben, ben Cohen, who I know uh, you're a fan of. Mm -hmm. um, what's, uh, what's he saying? He's saying, a hundred week SMA is this some sort of move moving right, average yeah. of Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. So the SMA is the uh, simple moving average, I think. Yeah, right, as opposed to the exponential moving average. So it's the slower of the two moving averages. And it's just he follows it up saying the price is noise. And when you you know do the simple moving average, the Bitcoin price just kind of looks like a wavy line going up into the right. Uh, I thought this uh, tweet was pretty interesting and nice perspective. You don't really see uh, like these nothing alarming there. It's right? just like mm -hmm. slithering up like a a snake like naturally when you put the price into a a simple moving average of course it turns into a line that's what the moving average does but it's just a nice perspective to have that like the more you zoom out the more bitcoin just looks like an up into the right chart well we talked about this in our episode with the ledger when he was teaching us mm -hmm. a little bit about uh ta we, we mentioned i think it was a death cross at the right. time but now the mm -hmm. bitcoin golden cross has arrived just a few months later what is the bitcoin golden cross Right, yeah, so it's the opposite of the death cross. Ledger reminded us that this is a lagging indicator. So all this is saying is that uh, one simple moving average, which is the the faster of the two, the, the blue one here versus the, the orange one, has crossed. And so now we are going and we, our local uh, price has moved up faster than the long-term price, which indicates bullishness. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, it's it, if anyone was listening to that Ledger show and they were calling the fact that this was a, a, fake, a fake out or a bear trap, uh, congratulations. This, I guess, now proves that you are right. Um, but Bitcoin, yeah, uh, the simple moving average or the short-term moving average, which I think is the 50-week, again, we're not traders here, are, is now above the 200-week uh, moving average, which I believe is the, what the Golden Cross is. It's funny. We had him on just after the death cross was crossed, right? Mm -hmm. And he said it could mean something. It might not mean anything, but right. um, you know, it could mean bad things. And he, here we are at the end of the summer. We've just hit the the golden cross. Mm -hmm. it looks like Bitcoin is gearing up for another run. Maybe all of crypto. That's what we've been kind of talking about the last couple of weeks. This is really interesting. The wrapped Bitcoin bot. So this is wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. They just minted uh, two thousand five hundred Bitcoin. That's one. Uh, $113 million worth of Bitcoin on Ethereum. You don't see that every day. Right. Impressive amount of Bitcoin continues to be tokenized on Ethereum. Yeah, a bunch of WBTC liquidity coming to DeFi. This is more Bitcoin in a single minting transaction transaction than all of the Lightning Network, which is kind of puts things into perspective. Ooh, <laughs> it does. <laughs> all right, let's talk Ether. Uh, price of Ether this week, we are higher on the week. What's what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. We started this week at $3,500, hit the low, low price of $3,200, and we are currently at the high of the week at $3,560 overall, up 3.5% on the week. This is the death rattles of the crab market, in my opinion, David. Mm -hmm. I, I really think we're, we're due for a breakout. We'll, we'll see whether that remains true. But People you know, are bullish. People are bullish. We're getting into that, that season, that fall season. Um, what about the ETH to Bitcoin ratio? What's that telling us this week? Yeah, ETH Bitcoin ratio 0.074. Mostly flat with a slight note of up on the week, but largely flat. Largely flat. How about locked total locked in DeFi on the DeFi pulse index we're at 90 billion this week still haven't hit that hit that 100 billion mark which is the next major threshold up but um you know not down on the week what's going on here yeah currently clocking in at 90 billion locked in DeFi. that flash crash that we saw about a week ago where there was a bunch of cascading liquidations now just looks like it's deeply in the rear view mirror kind of almost looks like it never happened uh, and again eyes are on a hundred billion dollars locked in DeFi. Eyes, I don't feel like, are on DeFi tokens themselves. Mm. Maybe they should be. I'm not sure. What's the, the DPI showing us this week, David? Yeah, DPI coming in at $398 right now. Started the week at $365, hit a low, low price of $324 in the middle of the week, and is currently coming in right below $400. We got a nice 12% uh, rise in the week in DeFi token, so that's looking okay. But the test of whether it's DeFi season versus ETH season is right here in the DPI to ETH ratio. David, uh, we are still under 0.13, my friend, but up a little bit on the week. What's yeah, showing us? I think roughly up maybe 12% on the week since we last talked about it. Uh, I want to have hope, but I've learned my lesson. So we're going <laughs> to we'll go ahead and wait and see for this one to uh, start to have a meaningful breakout. It is still in that a very long descending channel that has started ever since March. Um, but again, like I feel like a bull market would really set off some DeFi tokens. And you kind of wonder whether we're going to have another ETH season first or a DeFi season first. If you right. had to guess, what, what do you think? ETH oh. season or DeFi season next? ETH, ETH season, yeah. ETH season, ETH season Which next. Which maybe, right. maybe means maybe the actual... Maybe it's a contraindicator. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but how about the bed? This is the combination. Can't go wrong on the bed index because this is a combination of Bitcoin, ETH, and DeFi tokens, a third, a third, a third. And we are up on the week. This, up, this up chart likes week, to go yeah. up. 
Yeah, last week was the first major like not up week. I think we were down 8% and we are up 5%, 5.5% on the week. Overall, over the full month, we are up also 5.5% on the month. Uh, the all-time chart for the bed index, again, looks fantastic. The bed index, the best crypto index there is. Do you know, speaking of fantastic, I think these are the numbers of the week right here. <laughs> Look at that. Galaxy. And this is what we've been waiting for. Man, we all knew that that was going to come. We called L2 summer uh, earlier in the summer. We're not the end of summer. So it's like L2 summer fall edition, as we said <laughs> before. We're starting edition. to see it. <laughs> We're starting to see it, David. Uh, a little bit late, but better late than never. Uh, Arbitrum, mm -hmm. 2.3 billion locked. I don't know. Last time when we had Arbitrum on the podcast, a week and a half ago, it was like we were celebrating 30 million or something, mm -hmm. 50 million, something like that. Suddenly, we're at $2.3 billion in value locked on Ethereum's largest layer two right now. And that just exploded from like Friday up mm -hmm. until now. Uh, super impressive here. What's going on? Yeah, overall, all value in all L2s has been up 300% over the last seven days, which again, it only it seems to be up and to the right because because L2s are really in their infancy, right? So like value can kind of only flow on there. There's no value to flow away from there. But yeah, Arbitrum dominating the week this week. That's because they went live last week. So that's like, you know, obvious. Um, and so like now it's up to the open permissionless world of development developers and apers to get a bunch of value into Arbitrum. They are up over 3000% of value increased when they finally opened up and removed the whitelist and allowed, you know, the open source community to start tinkering. Now we should say some of this volume is like, in fact, a lot of this volume is yeah, not most like of it. <laughs> the, the Uniswap and the kind of the balancer and the more sustainable mm. DeFi protocols. A huge chunk of it is actually in kind of a, a meme farm token. Is this right. a Nyan Cat meme? Another one? We've got it going on in layer two right now. This is $2 billion uh, flowing into Arbitrum from the Nyan Cat meme token. I, I haven't even looked at this, man. What is it? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. It, it's a it's a yield farm based off of a meme. And like when we talked about the whole layer two summer meme, we meant yield farming. I kind of thought I kind of thought yield farming with like, you know, Uniswap and Balancer yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Aave, like not necessarily memes, but hey, like me, me, like yield farms on our yield farms. Right. And like the dollars on the uh, uh, the value that's been sent to Arbitrum has been in Ether. I think there might also be these Nyoncat tokens, too. But like it's because a lot of Ether has also moved over to Arbitrum to farm this token. Uh, and so, like, I guess, Kuray, we had a meme pull a bunch of Ether onto Arbitrum. I, at least there's an Ether now there. Hey, look, man, a year ago, that meme coin would have been on uh, Mainnet. Now right. it's on... Right. Uh, now it's on layer two, which yeah. is kind of where it should be, right? Um, so it's a good place to experiment. It's also like permissionless. I mean, right. someone's complaining. I saw someone complaining about this on Twitter, David. Like, what? Like another meme token right. on uh, a layer two? It's just like, hey, yeah, we can't control. Plus, like, it's just... They're all memes. Can, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all memes. Anyone can build whatever they want. So no surprise that um, you know this is one of the first uh, applications. I don't think it'll stay right, the dominant yeah. applications for uh, for Arbitrum. But um, anyway, it's good to see some some traction there. Certainly, these kind of experiments are ha happening on other ETH killer type uh, chains as well. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about this too, David. 
the burn. Are you feeling the burn? These layer the burn. twos are starting. Layer, layer burn two burn. Here. Layer two burn. Layer two burn. Okay, what's what's that like? What's going on here? Yeah, so we're getting a lot of economic activity going on on Optimism and now also Arbitrum. And in over the last 24 hours, they have both themselves shown up on the East Burn leaderboard on ultrasound.money. So uh, Optimism came in at burning 138 Ether yesterday and Arbitrum burnt 115 Ether. I believe that puts that at, at Arbitrum at number seven and, and Arbitrum, uh, optimism at number seven, Arbitrum at number nine on the 24-hour ETH burn leaderboard, which is letting us know that there is enough economic activity going on on these layer twos that when they actually make a layer one transaction, there's a lot of activity going on there and they're burning a lot of ether. L2s are alive. Nice. That was on uh, September 11th and September 12th. I don't know if they're still in the top 24. That was a few days ago. Okay. Do you remember when we talked to uh, the Arbitrum folks, we asked the question of like, how long is it going to take to see layer two on the leaderboard? And they said, end of the year, right? right. Well, now we've already got a glimpse. Right. I don't know if they'll be on the 30-day leaderboard, but at least they're on the, the one-day leaderboard. And I think there will come a time, David, when essentially the entire ETH burn leaderboard, most of the economic activity and transactions will all be layer two. That is the plan for Ethereum, essentially to scale its execution layer on layer two. And so a whole bunch of these layer twos will be burning a lot of ETH. We'll pack our bags, we'll migrate, we'll be living our lives on the layer twos and the extended uh, universe. We won't be on the mainnet anymore. Like we're getting out of Manhattan, we're moving to the suburbs. That's what's happening here. Right. And as a, as a quick lesson for people who want to live on layer two, it is the uh, Arbitrum or our optimism like contract that is making that transaction on the layer one on your behalf. And so all of your assets, whenever Optimism or Arbitrum makes a transaction on the L1 to update the state, that's you not making a transaction yet still making a transaction on Ethereum. You get the transaction benefits of having a transaction, but you didn't pay for any of the gas. Magic. All right. Magic. Um, we're burning a lot of ETH. Uh, let's see. Ultrasound Awakening. This is the ultrasound.money website. Mm -hmm. And I think we passed a couple of thresholds here. The first is 300,000 ETH burnt. In the last hour at the time of recording. So this is Wednesday 15th at uh, 2 p.m. PST. We just passed 300,000 ETH burnt. We also passed another threshold in US dollars. This would be $1 billion worth nice. of ETH have been burnt in the past, what, six weeks or mm -hmm. so? Mm -hmm. uh, Incredible. No, all, all time. Oh yeah, six six weeks, six weeks. Yeah, six right, weeks right, since right. it launched. It's only right. been alive for six yeah, right. weeks. So every six weeks, you burn a billion dollars worth of ETH. Right. It's got to do something to yeah. uh, to supply More economics there. It's got to add a little bit of scarcity. <laughs> right. To, um, to just, ETH. A, just a smidge. It's more ether than I have. Bit. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, in what's going on here? So I think yeah. the the bridge protocols are doing some cool stuff too, and the interoperability protocols. This is Connects. What's mm. Connects reporting out? I mean, we're overall just seeing an absolute blossoming of the whole entire layer two ecosystem. We see money moving on to Arbitrum and Optimism, and once money's on there, uh, the L two bridges. It's now it's their turn to have a bunch of value flow. So Connects just announced that they uh, had a five hundred million dollars of cross chain transactions has gone through their protocol since they launched their vector, their uh, V1, I think maybe six or eight weeks ago or so. Uh, and so like, I, th I think we're just going to start seeing these milestones just start flying by as more and more people move on to L2s and then want to do stuff on other L2s yet don't want to be bothered with an L1 transaction. They're just going to use the cross L2 bridges.
these flows, like $500 million, like it's just nothing, right? It's just the, the numbers we're talking about in DeFi are absolutely tremendous. And guess what? A year from now, I think these numbers are going to look tiny. By Super tiny. To right? we're going yeah. to be. Remember when we were celebrating 1 billion locked in DeFi and now we're almost at 100? That was less than a year ago, by the way. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I can't believe that, man. I can't believe how fast this space grows. And mm -hmm. let, let's talk about this. $7.5 billion are locked inside of bridges or have crossed over from Ethereum to either an alternate layer one uh, or to a, a layer two or to a side chain, something like, um, something like Polygon. And this is a chart on Dune Analytics that shows all of that activity. The vast bulk of this this looking like is on Polygon, but there's some uh, bridging to a healthy, a healthy amount elsewhere too. I would say, yeah, um, a healthy amount elsewhere too. And you know, things like Arbitrum, of course, are like um, quickly moving up. If you mm. if you look actually in the past uh, fifteen, you know, thirty days, um, it's a much more distributed amount here. Actually, uh, Avalanche too. Um, right. Kind of interesting that the model for Ethereum being sort of the uh, you know, Anthony Sassano has called this like, uh, the economic nexus, right? right. Mm -hmm. Um, we've called this before the, the chief settlement layer right. for crypto. And so all of these assets essentially ultimately settle on Ethereum, but they're being bridged to these other chains, um, in, uh, you know, for use inside of those ecosystems too. Right. And it's kind of interesting that you can see all of this on chain. Right. Totally. Um, any other takeaways from that? Or should we talk about Gitcoin? Gitcoin uh, doing yeah. their, their grant round 11, number 11. I remember like number one uh, <laughs> a long time ago now. And uh, some pretty interesting stats here, David. What are they? Yeah, Gitcoin already on day one, this is their announcement. I think uh, at the time of recording, we're at day like six or seven or something. So when you are hearing this, you only have a few days left to deposit or to donate any money to any of the grants that you see fit on Gitcoin. But since then, on the first day, they've already had over 4,600 contributions from 350 people, $36,000 coming in on the very first day. Um, and so you can uh, go to Gitcoin and donate to your favorite grant project of what you want to see funded. Fund, fund public goods. That's important. All right, David, we are going to get to the releases next, and then we're going to talk about the news. But before we do, guys, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum, and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. 
That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum Layer 2. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases of the week. David, let's start with this. We've been talking about the Tracer DAO for a long time. Now the Tracer DAO is launching their Perpetuals product. It's not out today. I think it will be out by the time you listen to it. A pretty cool product that I'm personally excited about. And Tracer DAO is a, a friend of uh, the Bankless Show and has sponsored us as well. Um, but like, what are they releasing? Yeah, so they're releasing a brand new DeFi primitive, which I think people will be familiar with similar products. Uh, if you know um, uh, Index Co-op's uh, FLI tokens, these are tokens that track the price of BTC or ETH in a leveraged fashion. Uh, and so that's a kind of a novel concept, right? And so it's a single token that moves in a leveraged fashion to our, to the actual like underlying, right? Uh, and that's nice because of that. Uh, people like leverage, but then they also like composability and you're getting that as well. And then also people like liquidity pools and providing liquidity and gaining yield on that. Uh, and so this is kind of a hybrid product, a, a liquidity pool, a leveraged liquidity pool pool, which this is uh, just a perpetual pools is what they are calling it. Uh, and this is a, a brand new product coming out of TracerDAO, which uh, if you are a trader and want to try a brand new uh, DeFi primitive, this might be for you. Yeah, it's kind of cool too, because uh, people also like low gas fees. And this is deploying not first on mainnet, but it's deploying first on um, Arbitrum. Mm -hmm. So another win for, for the Arbitrum chain. And I think like in my head, this is sort of like, a, you know, it's got perpetuals like DYDX, so you get an ETH perpetuals product. Um, and then it's got an element of like, um, uh, it's got an element of like Uniswap because you're, you're you know, you're sort of trading uh, with a pool. And uh, then it also has this FLI component, almost like, like set, where you actually have tokenized versions of these perpetuals. So it's kind of a cool blend and uh, excited to see how it does, particularly on Arbitrum. Um, David, a new podcast is coming to the crypto sphere as well. This looks like a, maybe an Ethereum type of podcast. I haven't listened to this one, but um, first episode with Vitalik. I listen to every single Vitalik episode. And also Carl Flores from the Optimism team, where they talk about retroactive public goods funding. What's this podcast about? Yeah, it's just a, I think it's a podcast. They, they, he, uh, he only put out uh, one single tweet about what it's about. Um, but any podcast that has their number one episode with Vitalik Buterin and Carl Floresch is something that captures my attention. So it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a crypto economic, technically focused podcast. Uh, I think we're going to have to wait and see for this uh, podcast to really take shape. But I'm always excited to see new podcasts come into the crypto sphere. We support crypto media. This one is called Into the Byte Code. We'll include a link in the show notes for you as well. Um, this is cool too. A roll-up already expanding. This is an FYI from Optimism on the release chart. They just doubled the throughput limit on mainnet. We always knew these rollouts were going to roll out 
in kind of nice. this uh this great like graduated fashion right so not like completely release the governors and all of the valves day one now they're starting to uh increase the transactions per day so two hundred thousand transactions per day uh, is what optimism is now set at. So that's doubled. Stay frosty, stay optimistic is the message there. Good to see the roll-ups increasing in transaction throughput in a cautious way. Yeah, weird. It's uh, kind of interesting to see people cautiously roll out scale onto their chain. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, we'll get to that part later. It's a good move. Um, Zapper, <laughs> they're releasing... Uh, our Terminators cordially invite you back to the Zapperverse. So this is a new season of Zapper. Uh, I'm actually not sure about this one, David. I haven't read all of the details. What's Zapper up to here? Yeah, their first season was all about that. Uh, they, they started to gamify their application, right? And so you would go right. and do activities and you would level up. Uh, and I think that the seasons is just reference to like se seasons that we've seen on like, you know, Diablo, th uh, Diablo 3 has these, uh, Overwatch has these, com whatever competitive like game has these, they have them se as seasons. Uh, but then at the end of the season, you reset and go back to level one. So I, I think what's going on here is that they have reset everyone uh, and set on a new bunch of quests onto the Zapper metaverse if you will, uh, and now there's a bunch of things to do. The entire speculation about this whole thing is that you are giving Zapper provable uh, active use of their application that mm. could be something that they leverage in the future uh, with stuff. So maybe, I don't know, I don't know anything. I don't Anyways, know anything either. I don't know but anything. Like, what we have seen in the past is retro perspective retroactive airdrops ah. for usage ah, so you're gonna say it out loud <laughs> i'm not gonna say that with respect to zapper because i have no idea david but i right. am saying that could fit a trend that we've seen elsewhere so do these quests because they're fun um but do them to learn DeFi, do them to, to gamify and and do them because you never know what never could know. happen in the future um all right let's talk about raises this week coinbase they don't need money, but they're raising money, David. Because <laughs> money's what's, free these days. <laughs> I guess. Uh, what's interesting is how they're raising it and who they're raising it from. This is a $1.5 billion offering from Coinbase for, for debt, essentially bonds. We call these in the market like junk bonds. So Coinbase is raising. I think they're doing this. They, their stated reasons are uh, M&A activity, like acquisitions, basically. Coinbase wants to go buy a bunch of things. It's super funny because... Uh, you know, of course, MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor has used the same the same tool in the bond markets to go raise funds at a very low interest rate, and then he goes and he buys Bitcoin. Right. It would be so hilarious to me if Coinbase just turned around and bought some like crypto with this. Why the hell not? <laughs> like, I mean, money's so cheap, right? And they could definitely do that. I'm not sure that they will. They'll probably get you know use this money for other things, get exposure into other things, but. This is a pretty good showing, and I, I got to say, um, you know, even Bloomberg is reporting this. This shows that crypto is really going mainstream because the bonds didn't just like sell; they sold out in a flash, and there was a ton of interest in these assets, and it was very easy for Coinbase to do. So people are are seeing this as like. Coinbase, uh, the market's not afraid of Coinbase's position with respect to regulators and the SEC. This is kind of a, a show of strength and another $1.5 billion added to the war chest. Coinbase, do it again. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> Start dollar cost averaging into crypto with it as well. Buy back your be, own stock. <laughs> that would be absolutely hilarious. Um, all right. Billionaire Steve Cohen just raised, uh, just invested in an NFT 
startup Recur, it's called. Um, $50 million raise here. What is Recur up to? This is like an NFT platform of some sorts, David. Right. I had never heard of this NFT platform, um, but turns out they're doing some interesting stuff. Re Recur um, uh, has, just like, like you said, raised $50 million, not, uh, not only from Steve Cohen, but Steve Cohen was participating for a valuation of $333 million, which is pretty high for an NFT platform that I've never heard of before. It ha hasn't been launched, maybe? Uh, yeah, which is kind of interesting. Um, okay. But I mean, we all know that NFTs are something that, you know, resonates very, very well with non-crypto people. So like maybe this is like uh, the NFT world has hit some escape velocity where like non-crypto, there's not non-crypto side of NFTs that we just don't know about. Anyways, uh, Recur uh, is starting off a product which is kind of like NBA top shots in the sense that they like snapshot moments from instead of NBA, uh, collegiate football. So we are now NFTing moments <laughs> from college football, which is a very, very big ecosystem. If you're if you're uh, not inside of the United States or you don't care about football, college football is a very big deal. It's a very big industry. Um, uh, and so we are now kind of doing the same thing that we're doing with NBA top shots, but now we're doing it for college football. And apparently Steve Cohen really likes that idea to the point where he would help this NFT startup raise $50 million. It's interesting because we've gotten to the stage where we're like just past the billionaire uh, legendary investors investing in crypto assets. And now they're like down the NFT rabbit hole. Right. Like we're at that point in mm -hmm. uh, crypto saturation. He's you know totally sold on that. Um, interesting to see what will come of that. Uh, David, another raise this week. This is in the NFT side as well. Immutable X just raised $60 million in a Series B funding. This is an NFT exchange minting trading platform that is all based on Ethereum's layer two. So they use ZK rollup tech. So it's lightning fast. Um, cool to see that they have raised a bunch of big names in this investment as well. Um, you know, Galaxy, Fabric, uh, uh, who else? Apex Capital, even Gary Vee, it looks like, got in on this with, with his uh, fund. What do you make of this? Yeah, this has got to be the last raise that they make before they issue their token because they're also going through a coin list token sale for the IMX token. And I'll be honest, I've been like typing IMX into CoinGecko every now and then just to see if it shows up. It hasn't yet. Um, but uh, everyone's kind of waiting for this IMX token to come out. Uh, disclaimer, me and Ryan are seed investors in uh, IMX. I think we were in the last round. One of those, one of those rounds. I can't remember one which of one. One of those. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, jobs. Hey, this is your get opportunity. A job. We say this every single week, but if you don't have a job in crypto, go get Why a not? job in crypto. I mean, get a job. It's, it's great. so fun. It's At so least, fun. Start working for a DAO. Do something in crypto. So some hot jobs of the week. We've Even DAOs are posting jobs. DAOs. DAOs. Are DAOs hiring other DAOs too? DAOs sure, are hiring yeah. DAOs. DAOs are hiring people. Uh, hiring is happening. Space needs to grow. Yes. And everyone's getting grow. jobs and <laughs> everyone's getting hilarious jobs and you're missing out. Some derivative of that original statement. Here, here's that. a job. Like even if you don't have technical skills, uh, pick up this community lead role from Popcorn. So this oh my is God. a DeFi <laughs> protocol community lead role. This would have been my dream job like at one point in time uh go check that link out all you also, do is make memes and chat in discord like it's the coolest <laughs> job ever uh senior software programmer as well that requires a bit more tech skills yeah, but right. you can take a look at that too that's from popcorn as well senior front-end web3 developer that's tracer folks with the new perpetuals product looking for that too these are all featured on the bankless job site included as a link in the show notes go check that out and some of the other positions that are listed there um all right david 
Are, are you ready, man? Oh it's my God, time. I'm so ready. <laughs> I know you're ready for this. Okay, so the headline here is a tale of two outages. There have been two outages this week in crypto, chain outages. Right. Uh, one, the Solana chain, which we'll talk about. And the second was Arbitrum, which is a layer two uh, that we'll talk about as well. So why don't you take us through a tale of two outages Let's talk. What happened with Solana this week? Yeah, so Solana had a, a peak load of over 400,000 transactions per second, which is a lot. Uh, and then the uh, at Solana status uh, Twitter account says, um, Solana mainnet beta encountered a large increase in transaction load, which peaked at 400,000 transactions. These transactions flooded the transaction processing queue and the lack of prioritization of network critical messaging caused the network to start forking. Uh, this forking led to excessive memory consumption, causing some nodes to go offline. Engineers across the ecosystem attempted to stabilize the network, but were unsuccessful. Uh, and so as a result of this, uh, a bunch of validators had to coordinate inside of a Discord channel, I believe, to coordinate a restart of the network. And then uh, as a result of that, uh, the Solana was down for over 18 hours. I think it was something like 18 to 20 hours. Uh, and then once some sort of uh, con like coordinated consensus mechanism to restart the network checkpoint and restart the network. I'm, again, I'm not a distributed systems developer, uh, but they were able to get that Solana network started up and running again uh, 20 hours later. So it was down for over 20 hours, which is kind of crazy. 20 hours down. And when you say down, we're not talking about degraded. We're talking um, about like dead, there's, down, there's didn't no, exist. Your transactions no aren't going anywhere. No one's listening to them. Like your money's frozen. No like there's no withdrawals. No right. No, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Nothing can Nothing. happen. Frozen. Right? The state frozen. is frozen. And what had to happen is they basically had to uh, eventually reboot the thing. And I think it required like the support of 80% of all of the, the validating stake, right. validating nodes. And that was mm -hmm. kind of the coordination that you're talking about. Right. Um, we'll get to some takes there, but like, I will say never in my history in crypto, have I seen a chain worth like 40, $50 billion, tens of billions of dollars be down for 20 hours, right. mm -hmm. like that's pretty unprecedented, has never happened at that level of value. People have tried to compare this to the uh, Ethereum Shanghai tax in 2016. Nope. We gotta talk about that one. I don't think the comparison is apt, but before we do, let's talk about, we said a tale of two outages. Right, here's the other a one. second outage happened at just about the same time. And I put right. outage in kind of quotes because it's kind of an outage, but also kind of not. But tell us what happened to Arbitrum, David. Yeah, so Arbitrum, the layer two to Ethereum had their sequencer go down. So oh, another interesting thing, like I said at the beginning, it's interesting that both of these happened really, really closely to each other. I think within the same like hour or maybe two hours. And it had both had to do with the sequencers for both um, uh, Arbitrum and uh, Solana. Uh, one of Solana's big claims to fame is, is it has this like natural sequencing built into the L1. Ethereum doesn't have that. It sequences things. It allows whoever proposes the block to sequence the transactions as they see fit. Um, uh, but Arbitrum has a centralized sequencer. A centralized sequencer almost kind of is what a rollup is. And that part broke down. Uh, and so... Um, uh, it, the report from Arbitrum says all transactions that had been had been accepted by the sequencer were included and not reordered. Uh, transactions uh, accepted by the sequencer between 10:13 and 10:14 a.m. were reassigned a timestamp when the sequencer returned online at 10:59 a.m. And so Arbitrum was down for about 45 minutes. And they say that the root cause of the downtime was a bug causing the sequencer to get stuck when it received a very large burst of transactions in a short period of time, almost very similar to what happened 
happened with to Solana. And then the uh, issue had been identified with a fix and had been deployed. Uh, and so there are some takeaways that, that we should we should talk about with uh, the whole Arbitrum being out. Um, yeah, I'm actually glad. I'm kind of glad, David, this happened at the exact same time. This is great. This is such a great test. It's it's a great learning lesson, mm -hmm. I think, for the ecosystem. So we can say exhibit A, what happens when a layer one sort of has a complete outage and requires right. a restart from a coordinated set of validators. And then exhibit B, what happens when a layer two uh, goes down as well? So may maybe let's talk about the the you know the contrast here. One interesting contrast is when Arb the Arbitrum outage was a little bit different. So you know sending layer two transactions was not possible, so you couldn't transact on layer two. But Ethereum wasn't down, right. so you could actually still get some transactions through on Arbitrum in sort of a, a roundabout way, as I understand. What, right. Why don't you take us through when Arbitrum failed, how did it fail? Right, so when Arbitrum failed, the Arbitr Arbitrum sequencer stopped listening to incoming transactions. And so all the benefits of the L2, all the scale, all the throughput, all the low gas fees, we lost that. We, that, that's what we lost. Um, the sequencer stopped hearing transactions and start, stopped writing them to the Arbitrum blockchain, the Arbitrum L2. But the whole point about rollups is that there is a natural fallback to a rollup that doesn't require you using the sequencer. And so because of the rollup design, users could just make an L1 transaction and update the state of the L2, of the Arbitrum L2 themselves using the main chain. It's like a user only backdoor to Arbitrum. If for whatever reason, the, the sequencer is not listening to transactions, maybe they're censoring you specifically, but not no one else. It doesn't matter because you can just go through the door that is on the Ethereum L1. So your funds are never at risk. This is why people like L2s. Uh, and so the, the moral of the story is that when the Arbitrum layer two breaks, the worst case scenario is that it just returns to being an Ethereum L1 smart contract that you engage with on the Ethereum L1. So all you gotta do is have some ether on the L1 to make a transaction to the Arbitrum smart contract to say, hey, your shit's broke, excuse my language, give me my money back. And then because Ethereum operates by that code, because of the nature of rollups, you get your money back. And so you are never ever, your money's never frozen. I, I, I kind of get this visual, David, where like I, you know, thinking in terms of like, imagine Ethereum is just this bubbled city in the cloud, right? And then Arbitrum mm -hmm. is another bubble city in the cloud, right? And, but it has this bridge, mm -hmm. this bridge that just essentially cannot be destroyed unless Ethereum, the, the city of Ethereum is totally destroyed too. So if Arbitrum goes down, if Arbitrum's on fire, if there's chaos in the city, then that bridge cannot be destroyed. So you always have the ability to like, withdraw funds, um, you know, do some some kind of transactions across that bridge as well, and exit. In the case of Solana, like there's no bridges right there that are enforced by Solana. So like Solana's down, the entire Solana network is down. That is not the case with layer two. It's layer two just fails gracefully back to Ethereum. So it's kind of a question of like, was Arbitrum totally down, right? right. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think um, Daniel from the Arbitrum team actually makes that case like practically speaking kind of was for right. the average user but he says if i want to get nitpicky and pedantic i could also argue that it's not and he gets very nitpicky and pedantic in the right. whole thread and we're not going to go through it but what's the tldr here yeah the, the tldr is that there are three ways to get a transaction uh in out of arbitrum uh 
one of them is like the normal case where like as a normal operating L2, you send your transaction to uh, an, uh, the sequencer uh, and then the sequencer updates the Arbitrum state and gives you a little receipt and then yay, we can go beyond our, our merry way. Um, we are actually going to have to scroll down because I'm going to have to read the, the, the second way to get in. Um, but this is going to be just a, a little learn, uh, learning lesson. Uh, and so uh, here, here he says, meet the sequencer. That's, that's the thing that orders the transactions, accepts the transactions right to the Arbitrum's chain. Uh, but the, the case number two is that when a message from the Ethereum L1 can also be included into the sequencer, uh, and so you can actually write to the Arbitrum sequencer, even if the sequencer is still live, by writing a transaction to the Ethereum L1. Uh, there, usually you wouldn't do this. Sometimes there are some specific scenarios, um, but the transaction gets added to the delayed inbox. Uh, and the inbox is like the thing that is where all the transactions go before it gets added to the Arbitrum chain. Um, and like the most common case here is like when you just straight up add money to your Arbitrum account. That's when you make an Ethereum L1 transaction, put it into the Arbitrum inbox. Within 10 minutes, it's, it shows up on the Arbitrum L2. Uh, and that, that's when one of those cases that you would do that. And then the third case is what we were exactly talking about, uh, is that if a message has been sitting in a sequencer's inbox longer than what is the uh, code for max delay, which I believe is 10 minutes, any user can call a, a, a function called force inclusion, which pops out the message out of the delayed inbox and puts it into the user's account on the L on Ethereum L1. Uh, and so this is a fantastic thread if you want to go into the in more nitpicky details about how a layer two rollup is constructed. But because there's three different ways uh, and the worst case scenario is always the fallback of like there is always user sovereignty if the sequencer isn't doing what they say they were. That is why rollups are so magical. There you go. All right, David, let's get some takes around the, mm. the, tw the crypto Twitter sphere to, to round this picture out. So. This is a take from Hudson Jameson. I first want to maybe read the take from Anatoly, who is But wait, the before you do, I do want to say that what we are talking about with Solana versus Arbitrum, it is decently apples to oranges in the sense that Solana is a layer one and Arbitrum is a layer two. So there is that difference there. Uh, and so we are actually going to go into a scenario about like, well, what if we were to talk about layer one to layer one to talk about apples to apples? So let's go into Hudson's take. Yeah, so Anatoly said this. He's the the CEO, one of the co-founders of uh, Solana. Um, basically, comparing what happened to Solana in that, that twenty-hour outage to the um, ETH Shanghai attacks. The ETH Shanghai attacks essentially, Ethereum was a DDoS attacked for like uh, a series of days, like weeks, and had to like uh, implement some emergency patch to to mitigate the uh, the threat of this attack. And Ethereum was not down during that time, but it was effectively like unusable or very hard to use because you couldn't get your transactions through. And so Hudson Jameson is a, a former ETH coordinator, former ETH, Ethereum Foundation um, community, community manager. Community yeah. manager. And um, he's, he's saying essentially that this is not at all comparable to the Shanghai attacks. David, why don't you read uh, parts of his thread? Yeah, so Hudson says, what happened today to Solana is not the same thing that happened during the Ethereum Shanghai attacks in 2016, but I understand why people think so, so a thread. Hudson says, both attacks were DD DOS attacks meant to halt block productions. So that is similar. The big difference is that Ethereum blocks never stopped producing during the attacks because of a multi-client design that uh, Ethereum has. 
Uh, I believe there were two major Ethereum clients at the time of Shanghai attacks. I think there was a third, but it was more insignificant. So there like was Parity and Geth. Parity and ones. Geth. And Geth was the one being attacked during the Shanghai at uh, attack. So if you had a Geth node, you would have a real hard problem getting a transaction in. But if you had a Parity node, it was fine. It looks like blocks still uh, were being uh, produced. Hudson finish, uh, continues in saying, I do not like the rhetoric and comparisons to Ethereum that Jokic... Uh, uh, how do you pronounce his name again? Anatoly. Anatoly, uh, the, the CEO of Solana Labs, basically the CEO of, of Solana. Uh, <laughs> and others have made throughout the day on Twitter because it feels disingenuous and feels like it minimizes the issue Solana faced. I also don't like uh, some people in the Ethereum community are bashing Solana for having to manually restart. Ethereum could have just as easily been in a similar position if the merge had a bug. All that being said, I hold, hold no ill will towards Solana and wish them the best. So... The important differentiator is that Ethereum's multi-client design, which has saved Ethereum multiple times and also has caused Bitcoin to have to have to, to roll back due to an inflation bug back in 2011 or 2013, because Ethereum or Bitcoin also only has a single client design. Solana, like Bitcoin, only has a single client design. And the whole point about having a multi-client design is that it promotes decentralization. There's more than one way to interpret this spec of Ethereum and to apply it and to have consensus with other clients. Uh, and so worst case scenario is that making a transaction on Ethereum just becomes difficult. Also, because of Ethereum's multi-client design, the Shanghai attacker had to spend a ton of money, a ton of Ether, to continue to DDoS millions the network. Millions of dollars. Millions Imagine of, how yeah. much money that's worth now. Right, yeah, like, oh, God, it, billions. <laughs> it was, it, it, and now it would have been a billion-dollar attack, right? So, yeah. so long as the blockchain keeps on working, attackers keep having to have economic costs to attack the blockchain, and a multiple-spec design, which Ethereum now, the, uh, the uh, Ethereum 1 chain has four specs, uh, four different specifications. And then the Ethereum 2 has, I think, five or six, largely done, one of them is largely- clients, right? Excuse me, yes, clients. Um, uh, and one of them being prismatic, which is very significant, but it has like five more other ones as well. Having multiple clients is anti-fragile and it is a significant difference uh, measure of decentralization that Ethereum has almost over every single other blockchain. There is no other blockchain that has the level of client diversity that Ethereum has, which is directly representation of the de decentralization that Ethereum has. Yeah, so I, I think like Hudson's point is like, that's a false equivalence. You right. can't compare. I, but but he also makes the point that, uh, you know, to be fair, something really bad could happen to mm -hmm. Ethereum one day, right. right? And some sort of social coordination might be required. Um, I just imagine it would look a little bit different than getting a group of validators into kind of a Discord channel and and having a conversation, rolling out an update. But I, I'm also um, I'm not, not ready to take, to take that point. Hudson says like this could have had this could have happened during the merge or this could have happened. It hasn't though, and that's a very important takeaway. It has not true. happened to it's, Ethereum. It hasn't. It right. hasn't. And, Ethereum, uh, like, if you put a big asterisk on the Shanghai attacks, as in, like, it was going to be really difficult to tra get your transaction in. Other than that, Ethereum has had 100% uptime. Even during the Shanghai attacks, it was still producing blocks. There has not been a day that has gone by where David, Ethereum has not been look, up. Look, man, even the Shanghai attacks, like, mm -hmm. network value of Ethereum at that time, I don't know, it was, like, uh, $300 million? Right, right. $500 million, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're, you know, in the first year of its birth. I, I know Solana is relatively young, right. uh, like three years old or something like that, but like it's worth $50 billion. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so it's a different beast. 
It's a different beast. Uh, there's another argument that was put forward, I think, um, from people. And I, I felt like this was sort of a little gaslighty as well. Uh, so this At is best. Kyle, Kyle Samani saying, hey, it's just in beta. That's why. Solana's in beta. This sort of thing is to be expected. It failed gracefully. No catastrophic problems. Like, I don't even know what to do with those three points, right? It did not fail gracefully. It fell over and died. It, it was a... To be honest with it. Absolutely no catastrophic. catastrophic. This is the most catastrophic. It's as bad thing. as it gets. Yeah, I mean, bar barring maybe inflation bug. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. that's worse, right? right? But this is pretty close. And then saying it's in beta, if you're in beta, you don't get to have like final product level mm -hmm. valuations, right. in my opinion, right. right? Like beta product, beta valuations, right? So like, it's hard for me to justify uh, the valuation of, of Solana when, like, when you see something like this. Right. Uh, I mean, just personally, right? Like, this is not, uh, I, I tweeted at the time, by the way, I think a lot of people were, um, you know, knocking Solana down when the engineers and validators were hard at work trying to restore it, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that time, it's just like, hey, everyone, hold on. Like, right. let's just let the dust settle. A lot of talented engineers are working hard to get this blockchain back up. Let's wait for the hot takes and critical takes until that's done, right? Well, now it's done. And I think the crypto industry needs to have a serious look at what happened uh, and like the, uh, why it happened. I mean, uh, and, and really like take a hard look in the mirror at how we're valuing these various chains. Are we valuing them? Like what level of decentralization are we valuing inside of these chains? What level of maturity are we valuing th these chains? Uh, and like, this should really, this is new information. So it re should reflect how we perceive uh, the market. I think this is a big incident. And I think this is totally underplaying it from Kyle here. What's your take? Yeah, I think Kyle's being one of the most uh, irresponsible people on Twitter over the last week or so, because like, this is the first time I've ever heard him say that Solana is in beta and like, we should expect problems like this. That is absolutely ridiculous, especially when people are putting meaningful amounts of their money and investments into this thing, saying it failed gracefully. It's just, I think it's completely irresponsible. And I think he is putting a terrible branding on this whole entire industry. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, you know, it's, um, I, I think the response from some people on the, I guess the Solana side has been what's, uh, what surprised me. And look, this is the bottom line for me, actually, Gavin Wood, uh, from Polkadot, uh, actually nailed it to me. Right. So if you're to take sort of one thing away from this incident, to me, it's this, uh, he said events of today in crypto just go to show that genuine decentralization and well-designed security make a far more valuable proposition than some big TPS numbers. That's transaction per second numbers coming from an exclusive and closed set of servers. If you can't run a full node yourself, then it's just another bank. If you can't run a full node yourself, then it's just another bank. I think sometimes people are critical uh, of us even, David, calling right. us like maximalists of one shape or right. another, right? Like, guys, the show is called Bankless, okay? Mm -hmm. We are here to escape the banks. One vector of attack is a blockchain, a group of validators, a group of crypto banks can become the new banking system for you. I personally don't want crypto to evolve in that direction. So I'm going to fight for principles of decentralization. If you can't run a full node, then it's just 
another bank. If you don't have a copy of the ledger, then you are trusting somebody else with the ledger. It's just, to me, David, some of these things are like, um, you know, unnegotiable, right? So call Solana, maybe it's a fintech platform. Sure. That's cool, right? Like yep. PayPal's a fintech platform. Venmo's a fintech platform. It's kind of a, a new open fintech platform model. It has not reached the level where it's decentralized enough. If, I can, if we can't run a full node, then it's still a bank. It's still fintech. It's not quite DeFi. So I think the events of this last week have, um, have shown this maybe to more people. I don't know that that's going to be reflected in the immediate market price because, look, the market price is in narratives. It doesn't necessarily price in fundamentals. But this is something that if you are in crypto, you absolutely should be paying attention to. And Anything else we should say on this, David? Yeah, I, I definitely want to. There's been a, just a growing frustration out of the Ethereum community lately who has like said, given out warnings about something like this. We've seen so many chains just like fork Ethereum or like do something similar, uh, ex except what they would do is they would just increase the block size and increase the throughput. Call it Binance chain, just earlier this we year. Saw Binance chain halted, Avalanche halted. So far, every single chain that has like tried to become an Ethereum killer by just increasing throughput has halted at some point in time. And there's a reason why we don't just beef up the L1 because like, like Gavin Wood says here, uh, where he says um, uh, a more just uh, a well-designed, Excuse me. Events in today in crypto just go to show that genuine decentralization and well-designed security make a far better value proposition than some big TPS numbers. We get big TPS numbers from Arbitrum and Optimism. Arb Arb Optimism just doubled their capacity. Ar Arbitrum is instantaneous. We get big TPSs on layer twos, and we have the decentralization and security of a extremely conservative and consolidated and efficient base layer L1 that we can all run the nodes on. And so, so many of the in the Ethereum community members, especially when the sole price is just pumping through the roof, and it's really, really hard to like tell like teach these lessons no one wants to have their bags there that that are performing really really well get narked on by quote unquote a bunch of eth maxis except that everyone is coming into all the ethereum people and saying like hey you guys are just being eth maxis because you don't like any other chain it's not Ethereum maximalism, it's decentralization maximalism. And so I tweeted out earlier, I said, anyone who labels a decentralization maxi, of which I would call Ryan, of which I would call myself, instead as a toxic maxi, just for not talking positively about other chains that have sacrificed decentralization, is actually pr the person being toxic, right? Especially if you are promoting a chain that is actually not decentralized as the base chain and you're just calling them a toxic maxi, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. You have to protect decentralization. That is the whole reason why we're here. This whole industry is built on decentralization. No shortcuts, guys. No shortcuts. Why take shortcuts? We don't need to. Don't I mean, to. Just, just wait a little bit. Uh, you, cryptography magic is coming. All of this stuff is going to happen in time. Let's not take shortcuts in the near term. I think that's the message. David, here's what's ironic. Uh, while this was going on, Ethereum was actually being attacked. Right. <laughs> there was three attacks. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, pe people don't know this because... Um, nothing happened. Actually, nothing happened. And part of the reason why is actually one of the nodes, um, mm -hmm. one of the smaller, the Nethermind uh, Ethereum client, ETH1 client node, uh, was taken down. 
I think this was some sort of a DDoS attack. Is right. So correct? somebody was mining empty blocks for 550 uh, blocks, which had invalid proof of works. And then they published them all at once. Right. And so uh, blockchains, they operate by going on the longest chain. Somebody was mining secret blocks, published them all at once in order to like get ahead of the actual Ethereum chain. That caused some clients, uh, some nodes who were on the Nethermind client to go off and start propagating blocks on this new fake bad chain. Uh, and so, again, another lesson in client diversity, and even with uh, client diversity, not even all of the nodes of ne the Never the Mind client with went with a new blockchain, right? And so this is what happens when you have really talented client developers hyper-focused on security and decentralization at the base chain. Attacks don't work. It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what happened. Nothing happened essentially on Ethereum <laughs> when it was being attacked, uh, it, and that's a good thing. I mean, attacks are going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, cross your fingers, knock on wood. Something attacks, really bad attacks could happen should happen. Or Ethereum. That's the whole um, point: is you can attack it as you see fit. Like I can't go attack Wells Fargo, but like that's because of they have centralization as their security. You're supposed to <laughs> go attack tried, Ethereum. Have you ever tried to attack a bank, David? Yeah, I started this attack podcast with you. <laughs> We're attacking it on the meme layer, guys. Uh, all right, enough said. A tale of two chains, a tale of two outages. That was it. Cut. David, um, let's talk about some other Ethereum stuff. Ernst & Young, uh, top four accounting firm, like big name, the professional services realm. They have just selected Polygon to scale their enterprise blockchain products. Um, here's what I think that means. So people are confused about that. E&Y they're big Ethereum proponents, big crypto proponents as well. They've been working on like some ZK technology, specifically enterprise technology for like for, for, for enterprises in the in the privacy space as well. So their whole thing is, hey, uh, a lot of enterprises can't use the public chain because they want their valuable information transactions to remain private. So they, they went off and they've experimented with some kind of ZK rollup tech. Now they're folding that into the Polygon family. So Polygon has not only its proof of stake chain, that's its side chain, but it also has a ZK chain, which is Polygon Hermes. Um, it also has a Plasma chain. And now they're adding this Ernst & Young chain into their kind of their API suite uh, Polygon's kind of a Swiss army knife, I suppose, for all of these various sidechains and L2s. And I think what this could become, David, is like an enterprise roll-up chain right. that Ernst & Young is rolling out. So excited to see how that develops and a really cool partnership in the making here. This reminds me of the Golden uh, Goldman Sachs. What was their what was their private blockchain called? Quorum. Quorum, right? Quorum, it, yeah. it, was, it was a fork of Ethereum. It was enterprise for just for Goldman Sachs and their customers. They did their own kind of internal testing. Uh, there was also like the IBM Hyperledger as an enterprise blo blockchain, uh, and now we have the EY enterprise blockchain, also with privacy, built as a rollup on top of Polygon. This just reminds me, Ryan, of the protocol sync thesis. Everything gets layered on top of Ethereum, and the benefits of plugging into a public open network can be as wide and large, or or not, as you so as you see fit. Um, now EY can tap into main L1 Ethereum as much or as little as they like. They have full control, and they don't impact any of the other L2s or the Ethereum L1. They get to just do it. Yeah, absolutely. This is like the local area networks, like mm -hmm. the internal networks plugging into the wide area network, right. plugging into the internet. Right. That's what's going on here. 
Uh, Vitalik Buterin was named one of the top one, one of the 100 most influential people of 2021, according to Time magazine. He was named that by Alexis Ohanian. He is one of the mm-hmm. co-founders of Reddit. And Alexis gives some reasons why he uh, he nominated and named um, Vitalik as the 100 most influential people in 2021. Glad to see Vitalik getting some recognition yeah. here. I think uh, it's going to be kind of a legendary name. In fact, we have a podcast with Vitalik coming out next mm-hmm. Monday. That's a fantastic podcast where we talk about, among other things, the importance of being able to run a node for yourself. Mm-hmm. So tune into that podcast. Congrats to Vitalik. Also, I believe this is the uh, the senior editor uh, no, the, the president of Time Magazine. President of Time Magazine. Right. Okay. With a dot ETH name uh, retweeting saying, congratulations to Vitalik Buterin for being named uh, 2021 top 100 influential people. So president of Time Magazine with a dot ETH talking about ETH stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, or what's this? Let's talk about the second news Ruh-roh. item of the day. So Ruh-roh. we're in NFT land, moving from Ethereum to NFT land. Um why don't you talk about sure. this story? It, it appears like it's a situation where an internal employee of OpenSea has front run the best OpenSea NFT deals, the deals that were going to appear uh, to appear on the front page. What happened here, David? Yeah, so this all got kicked off by this one Twitter account, uh, Zubu TV. He says, hey, OpenSea, why does it appear that Nate Chastain, who is uh, the head of product, I believe, senior product at OpenSea, so pretty senior position, uh, has a few secret wallets that appears to buy your front page drops before they are listed, then sells them shortly after the front page hype spike for profits, and then tumbles them back to his main wallet with his punk on it. So uh, going back to the reference between uh, behind identity and NFTs, uh, everyone knows who your punk is. Uh, and so uh, then uh, this uh, account uh, did a little bit of more due diligence. So if you want to find out like the analysis behind this, how this was discovered, it's available to you. Uh, and apparently this was legit because it got picked up by the block, which and the block writes, OpenSea confirms executive used insider knowledge when buying NFTs. Uh, so this is a reminder that OpenSea is not a DeFi application. It is a company built on Ethereum. Uh, and so Nate Chastain has been accused of front running drops and from profiting uh, some ETH by first buying and then selling right into the hype. Um yeah, that's uh, that's a not a good a look. I mean, that's a not a good look. Credit has um, has responded and said that they are taking this issue very seriously. I'm not sure what immediate actions uh, they will do, but it's an important reminder that any place there's an aggregator in these systems, you have the opportunity for insider information, insider right. knowledge, the ability to front run and yep. put yourself with an unfair advantage. What worries me a little bit, David, is this is exactly the sort of thing regulators will point to yep. and say. Well, crypto is unfair, right? Mm. And we need more regulation, maybe stringent regulation to come down on this space. And my worry is not that like, um, my worry is more that dumb regulation will come down on the back of this, right? So like one example of smart regulation, David, would be like, if you are um, an employee at OpenSea, maybe you have to like publicly declare your ETH accounts right. that trade any NFT activity, right? So it's all public, it's all visible, right? Something s- stupid that could come down the pike is like no uh, NFT or anyone who creates a DeFi product protocol is allowed to have an ETH address or is allowed to trade on these platforms, right? Or has to declare every single trade. like Or OpenSea has to become a broker or something. OpenSea has to become a broker, exactly, right? right? So um, 
there are good ways regulation could, mm -hmm. could influence this, but there's also some bad ways. But I think this is potentially a clear case of, of front running and, uh, you know, <laughs> Could could make the case could widen the case for why regulators right. actually should get involved in this space. I'm a little bit worried about that. Yeah. So I, I guess as a PSA to all p people with positions of power around DeFi apps or companies, like, yo, we as an industry are getting looked at. We all have a responsibility to not have the shadowy super coder branding actually fit and instead be good stewards and self-regulate and be self responsible. Like, like if it, like Nate gets his day in court, metaphorical day in court, no one's actually taking him to court. Um, but like, dude, come on, man. We got a lot to lose, dude. You're letting us all down. Yeah. And I think every company should get serious about disclosures. Use the transparency of the chain uh, to, to make this stuff out in the open, um, mm -hmm. certainly. So hopefully lessons learned in DeFi in this. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, David, what's this? Uh, what's happening here? This is an NFT on Arbitrum? Right, yeah. So <laughs> kind of a coincidence, little uh, announcement or release uh, right after this is that um, this uh, somebody says, uh, somebody tweets out, Arbitrum needs an NFT market now, completely unrelated to what was going on with OpenSea. So, um, so they've decided to build one called Small Puddle, S-M-O-L Puddle, which is a uh, ERC 721, which are NFTs, market on Arbitrum with a decentralized order book and 99% client side power. So it's a decentralized NFT marketplace on Arbitrum. So hmm. uh, funny little timing uh, in in on theme with JPEG summer, layer two summer, and the need to have a decentralized NFT marketplace. Look at these RB punks. Do you have one of these yet, David? I do not have cool. an RB punk. No. <laughs> Are these like uh, complete clones? Yeah, those look, those have got to be complete clones. Yeah, uh huh. So because like, look, look, you, you can buy one for 0 0.01 ETH, which is how you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. That's what's being listed on Small Puddle right now. Other things in the future, I'm sure. Um, also, this David Sotheby's is getting more into NFTs. A collection of Bored Ape NFTs just bro broke Sotheby's estimates with three days to go. I guess 19 million dollars worth of Bored Apes via Sotheby's. Have um, have already been achieved. That's the, the that's the current bid. Might go higher than that, man. Sotheby's, these art houses, they are all into NFTs. Like it's over. It's done for them. They've jumped down the crypto rabbit hole, and they are here to stay. No, that, that's exactly right. And this is coming right on the heels of Steph Curry and the Chainsmokers putting bored apes as their profile pictures. Uh, and man, like Christie's is doing NFTs. They were Gary V NFTs on Christie's Here's this Jason week. Jason he's got a punk. Jason Derillo. Uh, God, I remember that. I haven't heard that name in a while. Uh, but yeah, I got a red-haired, uh, uh, earringed punk. So that's pretty cool. Oh, and a goatee. More celebrity sightings. Uh, let's talk regulation really quick. Apparently, Fidelity is really pushing the SEC for Bitcoin ETF approval, uh, telling them that it is time when you have a major bank like Fidelity, an insider telling the SEC that it's time for a Bitcoin S, uh, yeah, ETF. ETF. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to actually move them. Um, Raul Paul said Bitcoin ETF in October. So he said this is back in August. I don't know what he knows, but it's been time for a long time. I just don't know that the SEC thinks it's time. And Gary Gensler has been increasingly critical of crypto writ large without extending any olive branches to this right. industry. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, gosh, I remember asking Hester Pierce um, her thoughts on like, 
every day that that the SEC doesn't approve a Bitcoin ETF, the conspiracies about this becoming a de- uh, uh, about protecting the dollar and not rewarding crypto becomes a little bit more valid. And I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, if this and a Bitcoin ETF doesn't get launched by the end of the year, I think it's this ab- year. It's got to be this year. One is the year. It's right? got to be this year, or it's a political statement by the SEC. They're making some political statements right now, David. Uh, we should talk about that in just a minute. Uh, I guess before we do, we should note that MicroStrategy has dollar cost averaged into Bitcoin again. Hey, it's been a while adding, since we've done one of these. <laughs> adding like a week, you mean? <laughs> Two weeks? Did, did we, uh, no, I said at least three weeks, I think. I don't know, dude. You said it so many times. Every month, at least, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor, dollar cost average in. They bought another 5,000 Bitcoin. Adding They're, 4% to their treasury in Bitcoin terms, which is not a small purchase. $5.1 billion worth of Bitcoin they hold now. Where do they get all this money from? I mean, they bought some low, but they're just like, they're raising it. Junk bonds, baby. That's the way to do it. Again. It's arbitrage Easy. opportunity. Easy. Um, let's talk regulation again. So there mm. were some hearings on uh, in the Senate. Elizabeth Warren, Gary Gensler um, talking about crypto. David, you want to pull out some key quotes from this exchange? Yeah, yeah. Gary Gensler and Elizabeth Warren are eyeing Coinbase. And uh, Elizabeth Warren says, um, uh, has criticized crypto's claims to financial inclusion, saying, we hear a lot about how crypto is all about financial inclusion. Oh, glad you finally heard this, Elizabeth. Uh, She said, I want to test out with you if crypto is an improvement over the financial system. So, like, I think what we're actually witnessing is, like, Elizabeth Warren doing her own little flavor of going down the crypto rabbit hole. Um, so yeah, there, yeah. And then she also says that, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. She's very, she's very concerned. It appears to me about, um, gas fees on Ethereum. So like the fact that she's knowledgeable about gas fees now right. indicates that she has gone a little bit further down the crypto rabbit hole. She referred to DeFi exchanges. I assume something like Uniswap in air quotes, like DeFi exchanges, right? right. As if DeFi right, doesn't right. actually uh-huh. exist. Um, she was very upset with gas fees. The fee to swap between two tokens on the Ethereum network last Tuesday was more than $500. Um, I mean, her, her, I think her takeaway is like, this is not for retail. This is price gouging. Gas fees are too high. Maybe regulators can fix this. Maybe DeFi <laughs> is a false, is, is a farce. Maybe like this whole thing is rotten. Mm. I don't know what she's getting at. It, it It's... I think she just doesn't understand the gas markets, right? Like right. complaining about Ethereum gas markets is kind of like complaining about the price of a barrel of oil, right? right? It's a commodity. It's right. a function of supply and demand. You don't like the cost for a transaction? Don't do the transaction. Right. Or try to find another right. chain, another like centralized exchange where you can do a similar transaction. It's just a function of supply and demand. It's not, no one's price gouging. And the DeFi, I don't know why that's in air quotes. Like Uniswap <laughs> legitimately is a decentralized exchange. If you don't believe that, try to take it down, right? right? Like, I don't know what's going on here, David, but it's it, this is the eye of Sauron, mm-hmm. I think, starting to to veer its its uh, its eye <laughs> on the DeFi industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, no, complaining about $500 gas fees is complaining about decentralization. Like, I don't want to pay it either, but like, I also want to be bankless. Uh, And I think Elizabeth Warren just has a bunch of dots that she hasn't connected yet. Another article that came out was uh, in uh, Business Insider, which was also going going on about this, um, where Elizabeth Warren says... um, 
Uh, advocates say crypto markets are all about financial inclusion, she said to Gary Gensler. So this is two articles about the same subject. Um, and then Elizabeth says, but the people who are most economically vulnerable all the ones who are, are the ones who are most likely to have to withdraw their money the fastest when the market drops. Does this sound like a path to financial inclusion to you? And like, I'm just so confused. It's like, I run, I watch like gas bikes up and down during market volatility. And like, I have no need to actually like run and go do something. The only people that need to go run and do something during times of market, market volatility are traders who got scared or people who are over leveraged, which we shouldn't even consider that as like typical financial activities. That's also just another form of trading. And so like Elizabeth Warren, I think she thinks this is some sort of like run on the banks. Like, oh no, like the, the sky's falling. I got to go get my money out. It doesn't work like that. Your money's always there. That's the point. Uh, and like, so she's worried about like these blips of like really high gas prices and like people not being able to access their funds. Elizabeth Warren, banks are closed 80% of the time. And so like, just because like you can't for a brief moment in time where you price out of the gas markets, like at least Ethereum is up on holidays, right? Unlike the financial system. And at least it doesn't have, according to a, a quote from, I will quote Kathy Wood, an unhinged monetary policy, uh, which is another like barrel, which I won't open today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the last thing I'd say, I know Elizabeth Warren listens to the show on a regular basis. Yep. Uh, last thing I'd say to Elizabeth Warren is like, hey, we're we're working on it, right? The, right? the entire, you know, blockchain scalability thing, that's what Ethereum's been working on for the last five years, right? So Arbitrum, the roll-ups that we're talking about, you know, ZK, this is all being worked on and we're trying to scale this industry. So come help us, don't stop us. Right. It's gonna lead to more financial inclusion. We've got some shared goals here. I hope they can see that. Maybe. David, there's a sliver of hope for me that her trip down the crypto rabbit hole, actually, she finds something interesting here, and she finds something that that she's aligned on, uh, and you know, we'll see if that happens or not. But at least she's getting educated on it. Right. I just, I just don't know. Kind, what kind of. Kind of. of. It's yeah. like, it, it, it is education. She's saying the words like crypto markets, DeFi, gas fees, but they're just like the most uninformed takes about those things. Right. And like it just yeah. she just ex what she's saying to me is just exuding bias. Like she wants to hate this industry. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely unfortunate. Uh, we'll see what happens, though. All right, guys, we will be back with the takes of the week and the meme of the week as well. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. 
Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. David, let's start with a take from you. And this is a perspective of your apartment like I never get to see. This is pretty cool. What are we looking at here? Yeah, we're, we're seeing my apartment from the other angle. Um, but my, my tweet was actually my best tweet ever. I'm surprised how much this blew up. But I tweeted out, attention, all right-click savers, which is basically another way to say NFT skeptics. Why isn't my punk on your wall then? And I'm super <laughs> stoked that I got like this 48 by 48 uh, metal, metal uh, punk right, right over there. Uh, and I think... That's awesome. Man. Ah, no, I'm losing it. Oh, okay. Well, okay. There it is. Um, and it's on my wall. And I, one of the cool things about NFTs that we've been talking about over and over and over again is that NFTs are the new form of art, right? And like, well, it's kind of weird to have a pixelated character on your wall as like art is like, it's not really art, um, but it's like something that I care about and I value. And so I put it up on my wall. I feel like this is more than art though. This is also like your uh, digital identity. It's become your digital right. identity, right? So it's also, um, you know, tied into like, a, you know, a typical art piece that you might put up on your wall is not who you project on right. your social media. So this is like right. deeper than that. Is this like having a picture of yourself inside <laughs> of your apartment? Yeah, it's a picture of my metaverse self, right? Uh, metaverse self. Yeah, so like uh, I, I was painted as a crypto punk and now it's up on my wall. Uh, <laughs> but no, the, the, the more important thing is that if like we keep on saying, crypto's taking over, crypto culture's taking over, crypto culture is tight, and I can't wait for other people to put their fidenzas on their wall or their chromy squiggles on their wall. I think the high value NFTs, because like, you know, the the proportion of what that metal print cost me versus the actual cost of the crypto punk is minimal, right? And so all of a yeah. sudden there's some decently large incentive to just like take all of your high value NFTs, which you know are net you're never gonna sell. Put it up on your wall. Make well, crypto, can, crypto art real art. Can I ask the, the literal question of like, mm. why isn't the punk on sure. someone else's wall then? Mm -hmm. Like, couldn't someone else just put this on their wall? Right. Or is that just like, uh, doesn't pass the social legitimacy test. So you're, you know, no, like total pose and they do and they wouldn't do it. Feel free to put my punk on your wall. I, w I ask you to please do that. I think it would be really cool if you put my punk on your wall. But it's the thing advertising is advertising your punk, right? Advertising my punk. But also the like the real really the reason why somebody wouldn't put somebody else's NFT on their wall is because like you don't have the incentive to do that unless you actually own the damn thing. Right. Ah. Yeah, that's 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 the difference. For people who are curious about how you did this, like how did you do this? Um, uh, the mechanics yes. of ordering this. Shiny, shinyprints.com 
which they are going to get a ton of business from this tweet. <laughs> there you go. Shinyprints.com is how you do it. Let's go to this take from Scott mm-hmm. Lewis. The Ethereum community needs to do three things. Number one, embrace side chains. Number two, embrace rollups. Number three, build. That's it. Mm. That's it. Yep. That's it. I think Scott Lewis is saying like, everybody chill, right? right. Um, don't attack the side chains. Don't attack the rollups. Heads down, build, focus on that. That's it. Ethereum's success um, is almost guaranteed if the community does that without distraction. And I somewhat agree, right? Like, uh, I don't know what you'd add. Would you add anything to that, David? Uh, No, yeah. The only thing I would add is I would would say that like, I've always kind of thought that more or less Ethereum's design philosophy and also Ethereum's values is what protects it. Um, the, you can't fork those things. Those things are one of a kind, uh, and people with those values gravitate towards Ethereum rather than gravitating elsewhere. Uh, Anthony Cesano does follow up with a nice addition where he says, well, can I embrace you, Scott? Uh, and I think that's kind of funny because I think the other part about that's missing from this is that, uh, we all got to hang out in real life and establish crypto culture in real life and hang out, uh, which is exactly what I'm doing when I go to Denver in the next two weeks, right? Exactly. exactly right. Um, How about this take? So this is from Tiger uh, Swami. This feels like a turning point for Ethereum, ETH the asset and crypto at large. What David Hoffman, Trust Estate, and myself, Ryan Adams, have been preaching for years is now becoming widely accepted. The genie is out of the bottle. This is in response to our Kathy Wood podcast. And uh, it's cool that the community is, is, is seeing that too. I feel like our podcast episode with Kathy Wood from ARK Invest was kind of a a major milestone, not for bankless so much. I mean, it was for us. It was pretty cool. Yeah. We're happy about that. For ETH, the asset though, right? right? So like we've been preaching the same thing for the last two years, three years. ETH is money. ETH is an internet bond. EIP 1559 is coming. ETH should have a monetary premium as a store of value. DeFi is going to eat the banks. DeFi is going to eat the banks laughed at, derided, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just like, it couldn't possibly be true. It's so small. It's never going to happen, right? Now we have a $75 billion fund manager on the bankless program telling us those things, like saying those things, right? And like, I remember my reaction was being surprised when Kathy Wood said, hey, the banks are scared. I was like, what? Are are they? And so hearing that come from the other side, uh, is a turning point, I think, for Ethereum and for the message of ETH. And I almost feel like, hey, man, um, not that our work here is finished, but like a major first chapter has concluded, I think, on this on this path for DeFi legitimacy and bankless legitimacy. So super gratifying to see that. I couldn't be more excited. The banks are about to be hollowed out by DeFi. One of my, uh, out of the uh, YouTube comments, Ryan, which I usually don't go to that place, but on this particular Scary. episode, the YouTube comments were absolutely fantastic. And uh, Tyrion on the YouTube says, at exactly the one hour mark in the podcast, Ryan had the holy shit, this is actually finally happening moment. Uh, it's always sobering to talk to someone outside of your circle that would generally agree with you and hear some fresh takes. But when these outsiders are saying the same things with a wild conviction, it is a whole different feeling altogether. And that was really like the takeaway of this whole episode. It's like Kathy Wood is telling us that the thesis that we've had is actually happening banks are feeling the loss of revenue and she thinks that it's coming from DeFi because DeFi is sucking up all the yield away from the banks. 
That's why we have yeah. a podcast called Bankless. It was absolutely crazy. And the fact that they discovered this kind of independently as well, um, it's, it's super cool. David, why don't you take this last take of the week? Yeah, Anthony Cezano uh, coming in with my favorite take of the week. And I alluded to this earlier and Anthony said, I'm actually pretty tired of trying to play nicely with other ecosystems or trying to not be, quote, toxic or in parentheses, whatever that means these days. Anthony continues, Solana going offline for 10 over 10 hours and the CEO is on Twitter just fudding Ethereum as some sort of damage control ties it off with saying it's pathetic. And I agree. That's why I was saying like, I am a decentralization maxi. And so if I don't like your chain because it's not decentralized, that does not make me a toxic Ethereum maxi. That means your chain's decentralized and you need to look inwards. Let me ask you something, David. What I mean, about the people who say, that sounds a lot like Bitcoin maximalist talk. Mm, you sound mm -hmm. a lot like a Bitcoin maximalist. Right. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I was actually talking with Eric Connor on, on DMs about this. Like, yo, Bitcoiners, they are correct in principles they are, in my opinion, wrong in execution, but their principles are absolutely correct. Small blocks, uh, decentralization, running your own nodes, uh, being able to run your own nodes. A lot of the significant principles that Bitcoiners have are right. For some reason, they're just applying it to the wrong execution, in my opinion. Uh, and so like, if, if, if I sound like a Bitcoiner because I'm like promoting decentralization and I'm not accepting centralized chains, like I'll take that and run with it because like, hey, there's a reason why Bitcoin is the number one asset in, in crypto to this date. And that's because it's proven that this market values decentralization above all others. Uh, and so fine, so be it. Yeah, absolutely, David. That, that's why I would, um, whenever people ask me, are you a Bitcoiner? I would say yes, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm a Bitcoiner because I have these Bitcoiner values. I think right. decentralization is incredibly important. I think Bitcoin maximalists have missed the boat on this whole DeFi thing. But like the principles are right. Moderate Bitcoin values is how Vitalik has described the Ethereum community. It's how I would describe it as well. All right, David, uh, that's it. You ready for meme of the week? Or actually, before no, we get there, I got to ask you what you're excited about. Yeah, what are you excited about? Uh, well, in about 15 minutes, right after we finish up this roll up and I get it uploaded, I am yeeting myself onto a plane to Denver. Going to go hang out, like I said, with Meta Cartel and all in the- In real life. In real life. With people all- you've the, only all met in Discord channels, right? People who I only know as their CryptoPunk avatars. Uh, <laughs> all meeting up in Denver. Going to finish up MCon and then go on a hike on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I'm going over to Mainnet, New York. We're going to uh, hand, uh, shake hands with Ryan, Ryan Selkis over at Masari and, and, and attend all the conferences there. And then, of course, go to the Pleaser Dow dog party. Uh, there's a party that uh, Leighton Cusack from uh, Pulled Together told me about. Uh, and overall, just have a good time in New York, which at the end of the day, like uh, while New York's not really my city, it is kind of the crypto capital of the world. And so it's a fun place to be. Uh, and then I'm also excited about my CryptoPunk. That's awesome, man. That's a lot of excitement gushing <laughs> from you this week. There's a lot to be excited about. Oh, well, there's always a lot to be excited about. So speaking of, Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm just going to narrow mine to like the fact that Arbitrum hit over $2 billion in total locked value is, mm. is hugely gratifying within like two weeks of launch uh, and uh, super exciting. Uh, I know last week I said I was excited about Layer 2. This week I'm also excited about Layer 2. But mm. more specifically, seeing Layer 2s like meet those thresholds, um, Layer 2 beat right? That is the new DeFi pulse. We're going to watch total locked value on DeFi just grow and swell and get to the hundreds of billions. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to, to look at that every single week on this show. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be really cool to say. So Arbitrum, 2 billion mark, looking forward to 20 billion, then 200 billion, and then 2 trillion. And haven't even launched Optimism yet. 
And so when that comes online, it's just going to have, you're going to be able to do this all over again. It's going to be great. Absolutely. Right. Name of the week, David. It's you ready? time. It's let's, time. Let's end with this. What, what are we looking at here? <laughs> uh, this is a tweet out of Joseph DeLong. And this is uh, a picture of, I'll, I'll pause for a moment and let the viewer look and try and figure out who this is. It is <laughs> Stani Kulichov of Ave, along uh, with, with Paris from IDEO. And I actually don't know who uh, the girl in the red is, uh, but they went to some sort of masquerade weird party in a field somewhere. And Stani- It's like a Mad Hatter vibe, like yeah. Alice in Wonderland something. It's a little, it's a little um uh not cypherpunk uh uh what's the what's the branding of things that like are in the wild wild west but they're steampunk. like steampunk it's a little very very steampunk it's steampunk ish and uh astani's got this crazy hat i think there's a snake on top of it maybe a dead snake <laughs> it's wearing a pinstripe suit uh, there's a bunch of the crazy costumes here okay and so that's that's the context through like three people crazy costumes astani's looking you right in the eyes and joseph delong tweets out this photo and says you apply for this loan this guy walks up and locks eyes with your girl what do you do <laughs> <laughs> and the point is is that well maybe i don't know if this is crypto culture but this is a crypto guide doing cool things and so i'm going to go ahead and say my the thing that i always say which is that crypto culture is tight there you go guys of course none of this has been financial advice on the roll-up you won't hear that on bankless at any point in time eth is risky DeFi is risky so is bitcoin you could definitely lose what you put in but we are headed west this is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.